Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. All right, so a couple, uh, I don't know, a month ago, six weeks ago, and, and just like, I'm not sure if any of you will be able to relate to this, but I was at Stater Brothers just down the way here, just needed to run in and grab a few things, had my, my bags with me, grabbed the little basket, going around. And I just was wondering, does anybody else feel badly when they bring bags from Aldi or Trader Joe's into Stater Brothers? I, I, should I not feel bad about that? I just feel like I'm cheating on Stater Brothers. No, not a big deal. Okay. But I, was, I kind of feel a little bad when I bring bags from other places in, but I do this. I was, so I'm, I get my stuff, and then you know what you do, right? You, you, and I, got, I, had, I didn't have 15 items. I had enough. To, and you look, you scan the checkouts, right? And you go, okay, which one's going to be quickest? And I go, okay, even though there's a few people in the, slow, in the, in the line that's express, I'm going to get in that line because I think that's best. The other ones will take too long. So sure enough, our line is going great. And I put my stuff down on the conveyor thing, and the person in front of me gets their stuff all scanned through. It's a mom and a couple teenage kids, I think. And then they get to pay, and they, they're looking around, and she's looking through her purse. She goes, I can't find my wallet. So they're digging everything out of their wallet and, or out of the purse to try and find the wallet. They're looking at each other. Do you have any money? And they're like, no, we don't have anything like this. So I'm like... So the first thought in my mind is, why did I choose this line? <laughs> okay, on a, you know what, what? Of course, I choose this line. This happens to me. The second thought that went through my mind is this: I should just pay for their groceries. But then, very quickly after that second thought, was the third thought that said, "No, you don't really need to do that." And, and you don't really have enough to do that, and you still have to make that tuition payment this week, and insurance just went up for you, and all these other things that kind of got into that thought of, I could just pay for their groceries. And by the time all those thoughts had gone through my head, the woman and her kids had walked out of the market and were going back to their car to see if the wallet was in the car. And I had missed out on an incredible opportunity. Can you imagine the opportunity that I would have had if I had just said, hey, you know what? Let me pay for this. Here's my credit card. Well, I'll just pay. Oh, no, no, no. I believe that Jesus would want me to pay for your groceries here today, so this is no problem. He's blessed me. I can do this. And yet all those second and third and fourth thoughts that got into my head about tuition payments and insurance and credit cards and all that stuff kept me from actually being generous. Because we can so easily talk ourselves out of being generous. And what it ultimately comes down to is fear. I'm afraid that I won't be able to meet my own needs, fear that I won't have enough for the future, Fear that they'll misuse what I might give them, but it ultimately comes down to fear. And I'm overwhelmed by a scarcity mentality that if I were to do that, I wouldn't have enough for myself later, which is just ridiculous. But we think that way. I saw a couple people nodding. Does anybody else think this way, or is this, I mean, the only one? Okay, there's a few of us. Good. So today's challenge is this. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be people of faith that live by faith so that we can then be generous. 
And kind of the anchor verse for this whole series has been Galatians 2.20. We haven't really talked about it much, but here it is. And, and just again, I, I quote this verse every morning, okay? My first thing I do every morning is I stretch this body to just get it going. And as the end of my stretches, I say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then I ask myself, what does it mean for me to live my life in the body throughout this day by faith? And I think about, you know what, I've got this meeting coming up, I've got a prayer for, prep for this sermon thing, I'm going to meet that person, I'm going to have lunch. What does it mean to be a person of faith throughout my day? Trusting in Jesus trusting in God's character and his promises throughout my day. This is what it means to be a person of faith. And I believe that as we look at Scripture, that we have a great example in Scripture of a man who was the face of generosity, and his name is Barnabas. So we're going to just quickly here look at, at Barnabas. So we first meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. It says this. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Joseph is from the, the priestly clan of the Levite family. He lived on the island of Cyprus. Somewhere along the line, he had met Jesus. Um, we know that his, uh, he's the cousin of John Mark and John Mark's home. Mother's home in Jerusalem was kind of the center of a lot that went on in uh, the early days of the church, and so it could have been there that he did, but somewhere along the line, Joseph becomes a follower of Jesus. He connects with the church, and the, and the apostles give him a nickname. And what a great nickname. Son of encouragement. Isn't that awesome? I, we need more sons of encouragement in our day, I think, but that was awesome. And so they, they do this. And no doubt, where this is placed in the book of Acts is placed with an intention to compare it with the, with the story that follows right after it. Okay, So Joseph, Barnabas, sells, sells his field. He brings all the money, gives it to the apostles. Right after this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You know this story? They sold a field some stuff too. And they brought their money to the apostles too and gave it. But... They kept some of it back for themselves and told the apostles, oh yeah, this is everything we sold. It's all for you. And Ananias is the first one that does this. And the apostles said, why are you doing this? Why are you lying to us? And on the spot, he dies. Okay? Some guys come in. They wrap him up in some sheets. They take him away. His wife comes in a few hours later. They say, hey, we just have a couple questions for you. Is this all the money that you made from your sale? Oh yeah, yeah, that's everything. Bam, she dies. Barnabas gives everything, Ananias and Sapphira hold it back and yet want to project the image that they are being generous. All right? And here's the truth that we have to realize, that generosity is an overflow of your heart. That the condition of your heart is what really makes it possible for us to be generous people. And Barnabas had this incredibly generous heart. Not only, and we'll see this, he was 
generous with his money, he's generous in relationships, he's generous in his time, and he's generous with grace. So the next time we see Barnabas, it's right after Saul has met Jesus and has been converted on the road to Damascus. And in Acts chapter 9, it talks about how Saul now comes to Jerusalem. It says this, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. I mean, this is the one who was killing Christians, right? So they're like, we're not so sure we want you in with us, all right? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciple, to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of the Lord. You see, Barnabas just puts himself out there relationally for Paul. He says, no, 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 it's true. This man is changed. This man that was killing Christians before now is totally transformed. He's totally changed. And imagine how different the church would have been if this had never happened. If Barnabas never brought Paul into meet the other disciples, the other apostles. They'd never gotten together and begin to work together and, and have the church growing. Barnabas put himself out there relationally. Then we get to Acts chapter 11, and there's all this persecution that's happening in the Jerusalem church, and the word of God is spreading, uh, but really, at first, only to Jews. But then some Christians from Cyprus go to Antioch and share the gospel with some Greeks. The Lord's hand is with them, and there's a great number of people that come to the Lord, but the, the, the apostles back in Jerusalem are wondering, what's going on? We, we thought this was supposed to be just for the Jews, and what, what is happening so in verse 22, it says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them to remain true in the Lord in their hearts. He, this is a great statement, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas is in Jerusalem with the other apostles. They hear about this incredible work that's happening in Antioch. They said, oh, I know what we'll do. We'll send Barnabas over there. Now, here's the thing, and, and we don't get this from just reading the scriptures. It's 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch, okay? There's no, like, bullet train. There's no Uber. There's none of that stuff. Barnabas is walking 300 miles to get to Antioch. It takes him day after day after day after day to get there. Antioch is a, is a city of 300,000 people, the third largest in the Roman Empire. So I'm just, I'm just trying to put myself in Barnabas' shoes, that he's willing to sacrifice in this way. He's willing to sacrifice his time to go and do what the apostles have wanting, are wanting him to do. Again, he's an incredibly generous man. Then in verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught them a great number of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So again, it's 100 miles from Antioch to Tarsus. There's um, 100,000 people in Tarsus, and he's looking for Saul. And again, there's no cell phones. There's nothing, hey, meet me here. 
he's going and he's looking. He doesn't know if he's there for sure, but he's willing to go find this man to bring him back because he believes that it will be so important to have Paul back in Antioch. And they're there for a whole year. And it says that Barnabas and Saul or Paul taught for a whole year. Then the Lord chooses uh, Paul and Barnabas to go on what's called the first missionary journey. Verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 4 says this. The two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmas, they proclaimed the word of the God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. This is John Mark. Okay? He is Barnabas' cousin or nephew. And he's come along on the trip with them. As soon as they get to Cyprus, though, he decides he wants to go home for some reason. And we're not sure why. So Barnabas and Saul continue on, and they preach to Jews and Gentiles. They have incredible movement of God happening. They have these moments where they are persecuted and stoned almost to the point of death. I have a map that kind of shows you here where they went. So they started out in Antioch. They went to Seleucia, then they went over to Cyprus. That's when Saul, uh, John Mark left. Then they go over and they go they, all these places. Again, 1,200 miles. 1,200 miles. They established a dozen congregations. They're gone for two years. We can, it's, again, it's two chapters in our Bible. We don't realize the sacrifice that these people are willing to make just so people could hear about Jesus. And here's another really interesting thing about this. It starts out in Acts 13 that it's Barnabas and Paul are doing this. Barnabas and Paul. By the end, it switches over to where it is Paul and Barnabas. And what has happened is the writers have seen is that there's been a change in terms of who's the leader. And it started out that Barnabas was the one maybe leading this, but for sure by the end it's Paul. And Barnabas is okay with being second. He's all right that Paul's the one who's getting the credit. He's all right that he's not the one making the decisions. He's all right with saying, go ahead, let's do this. You see, Barnabas is generous relationally and he's willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. It just flows out of who he is. So they're in, they come back to Antioch for about a year after traveling around all these places. They say, hey, let's go back and visit those churches. They go, that's a great idea, let's go. All right, and um, Barnabas wants to take John Mark back with him because he wants him to see what they did and all that, and Paul says, no way not coming. Can't come. Barnabas says, no, no, he can't. Nope, can't come. One of the more interesting things in Scripture. Chapter 15, verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That Barnabas is so generous with grace that he would take John Mark, who had left them before, and say, no, I'm going to give you a second chance. Let's do this. You can do this. 
And together, the two of them continue on in doing the missionary journey. Now, in Acts, we don't hear about Barnabas at all anymore. In some of Paul's letters, some really cool things about John Mark and Barnabas. So we know that somewhere along the line, there was some reconciliation. But the beauty of this is that Barnabas is generous with grace. And can you imagine how empowering that would be for John Mark? To know that even though he had blown it, even though he had left them before years ago, that Barnabas still believed in him. And this all begins with grace and faith in our own lives. And it's an overflow of our heart because it's impossible. That's a strong statement. It's very difficult to fake generosity. Really difficult. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, I'll end with these verses pretty much. And this is mostly about giving, but I want you to think about this in terms of generosity for your whole life. Paul writes this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a, of a severe trial, very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on the, their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the servants of, to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Love this, these verses. I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And, and I, love, I like this definition of grace, that grace is God accomplishing in me what I am unable to do on my own. And you see the grace that he'd given these churches? That, that, that they gave beyond what they had. That it is out of joy and out of poverty that that wells up into generosity. And that God's grace allowed them to do more than they ever could have imagined they could do on their own. And, and so I want you to think about your own life. And what does it mean for you to be a generous person? To be generous with what you give financially? To be generous with what you do relationally with people? And, and especially those people that you're closest to? What does it mean for you to be generous with grace towards people? And it all begins when we first and foremost experience God's grace in our own lives. When we first and foremost experience God's generosity to us that we then can give to others. And I don't know, I think it's probably because I'm a pastor that I feel like I have experienced the generosity of others above and beyond into my own life. So, both Nancy and I drive cars that were given to us. I drive a 2017 RAV4 that basically was given to us. Nancy drives a 1999 Toyota Avalon that was my parents' car 
that five grandkids have learned to drive with on, and it's a little banged up. But it was given to us. My golf clubs were given to me. I have experienced so much generosity in my own life. And I'm prayerfully hoping that I will be a generous person to others. So that when I'm standing at Stater Brothers, and that thought that I should buy that person's groceries, that I don't talk myself out of that. That, that I can truly experience God's grace in my own life so that I can be gracious to others. That I experience the generosity of Jesus in my own life so that I can be generous to others. So we're going to take communion here in a moment. And here's the verse that I want us to hold on to as we're doing this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. that the Son of God left everything, came to earth, died on a cross as poor as you can be in every way. And he did that so that you and I might be rich. Not materially. That we would experience God's grace richly in our own lives that we experience God's generosity in so many different ways, but that we would also then be generous people. So I'll remind each of us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was having a meal with his friends. And at the end of that meal, he, he took some bread. The one who was rich but became poor for their sakes took the bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, which was shed for you, take and drink. And, and as often as you eat this bread, and you drink this cup, you remember me. Again, we remember the one that was rich, that became poor, that we might be rich. So, in a moment here, I'll invite you to come towards the, to the table to grab the juice and the bread. Uh, just for logistics, if this section could go outside and get yours, these sections go over here and get it from Kathy, that'll work out better. But take the bread and the juice, come back to where you're seated, and then we will take it all together as a sign of our unity in Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we'll come forward. Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to become poor, that we might become rich. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the, your generosity towards us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be and become people who are generous 
generous with our lives, generous with what we have, generous with our grace, generous with our time. But Lord, we know it all begins here with you on the cross. That we can know your grace in our own lives because of what Jesus has done. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.